Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. To beat the man, you gotta beat the man. The two-one swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. He is safe. Green run. This is the Powers on Sports podcast. Welcome to another episode, Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers. Appreciate you finding us. We are through two weeks of the National Football League. We are through three weeks of the college football season. We got baseball playoffs right around the corner. In about another week or so, the regular season ends. So lots to talk about in the sports world going on. We've got a good episode for you this week. We are going to talk to David Moulton. David works on the CBS SEC broadcast on Saturday afternoons with Gary Danielson and Brad Nessler. He also works with the NFL on Fox crew on Sunday with Troy Aikman, Joe Buck, and he'll be covering the Rams-Buccaneers game. We're going to talk to David about some college football topics, Alabama, Florida State-Miami coaching situations, USC. We're also going to talk to Melissa Tandy. She is our second part of our Life of the Wife series. Melissa is the wife of Keith Tandy who's the assistant special teams coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So we're going to talk to Melissa about all things that go into her and Keith's journey through the football world and Melissa's journey of being a a mom and a wife and living in Tampa and moving around, all different kind of cool things about Melissa and Keith's uh, journey through their football uh, world and careers together. So excellent episode. I want to also remind you, check out the No Quarters Given podcast that I'm also hosting. We break down the weekly opponent of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the historical breakdown of the weekly opponent. So this week we'll be talking Bucks rams historically throughout the years. So definitely check it out, the No Quarters Given podcast. Myself, Peter Blake, are hosting. And again, we appreciate you finding us. You can also find the... Our podcast is also posted on my YouTube channel, the Powers on Sports YouTube channel. Lots of video content. Our interviews are posted. You'll see the David Moulton and Melissa Tandy interview as well. So check it out. Check out the podcast. Tell your friends to subscribe, rate, and review. Stitcher, Google, Apple, Spotify, Spreaker.com, all the different podcast platforms that you can find us. So enjoy the episode, and we'll talk to you real soon. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. We are at about the quarter pole of the college football season. We are through two weeks of the National Football League, and there's nobody better to break it down, both the college and the NFL game, than David Moulton. You, you remember David? We had David back on in the summertime. David does works for the SEC on CBS with Nestler and Danielson on Saturdays. He works with Fox NFL Football Sundays with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. He's a co- he's a, a host on NFL Radio on Sirius XM. So welcome back to the podcast, Dave. Appreciate you joining us. 
Jason, thanks for the phone call. Are we really at the quarter pole of the college season already? I mean, we're going into week four. I feel as if I just dipped my toes into the water. I know, right? It's crazy. It's crazy. All right, let's get to right where you were at Saturday. You were in Gainesville, Alabama, Florida. Ended up, went from, we didn't think it was going to be a good game about first of the second quarter, to all of a sudden it got very hairy there late in the swamp. Before we get to the game, Tell me about the atmosphere in the swamp. Was it cool to be back in an atmosphere where it was where it was rocking at the swamp? Well, quite frankly, it was the swamp again. Uh, you know, it has not been the swamp many times since Urban left. I mean, they had a game, Dan's first year, 2018 or 19, they had a game where they hosted Auburn and they hosted LSU. They've had a couple of moments where it's like, okay, this this is how I remember it. Right. You know, Will Greer's dramatic touchdown to beat Tennessee in 2015. And, right. um, you know, the swamp sounded. But for the money, you know, when you can count them on one hand in the last dozen years, you could tell you're a program that's still searching to get back to your past glory. And for the final three quarters against Alabama, they you know, played the way that Gator fans for 20 years remembered, yes, this is how we play. I thought the difference in the game, well, obviously you can't spot Alabama 21 to three, but I thought Gary Danielson made a really good point that it looked to him like Florida defensively in the first quarter was not ready for the speed of the game because they had opened with FAU and USF. Right. But by the second quarter, they were up to speed and, you know, Alabama scored 10 points in the final three quarters. So, you know, if they played again, uh, you know, listen, I, I thought Florida did a lot of good things. There is a track record of teams with a running quarterback that can give Alabama some problems going all the way back to Gus Malzahn in the early 20 teens. Uh, So, you know, this is how Dan, this was his offense at Mississippi State with Dak, with Nick Fitzgerald. This is actually what he's most comfortable with. And I thought you saw that with his play calling, Jason. When Dan can get you a little off balance, much like Lane Kiffin, much like when Gus Malzahn gets his offense going, if they get you a little off balance, you pretty much don't catch up the rest of the day. They were gifted play callers. And I thought Dan found something mid-second quarter and for the last 35-plus minutes basically shoved it right up Alabama and damn near pulled it off. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, a lot. obviously the big storyline going into the game was Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson. A lot of people thought Richardson was going to play a lot. Apparently he had some kind of hamstring injury. And And he did. Gary made it apparent that he knew Friday that he wasn't going to play that it was going to be Emory Jones. I heard Gary talk yesterday with uh, Chris Russo talking about how he knew Friday Friday that R- Richardson wasn't going to play. We're, Emory Jones played very well in a game he had to play well in. Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, he had a rough first quarter, right. and he made the one big mistake. The interception turned into seven points. You know, if you're Florida, you could argue, you know, you, not only did we spot him 21-3, but we gave him basically seven of it. And – You know, as Dan said, hey, last two times we played them, six and two. Right. You know, we're we're getting there. I think also the big story so far this year in college football, Jason, is, you know, for about four or five years, 
it's not just that Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson and, you know, LSU in 2019, it's not just that they were elite, but they had clearly separated themselves right. to the point where, you know, it's as if they were playing at their own level. And even the rest of the top 10, like, you know, Notre Dame's been like the seventh best program in the country. But when they played those teams, for the most part, yeah. they, yeah, they, they're lose by three, four scores. You know, even Georgia, Oklahoma, you know, the close, but there's still a clear level. What are we seeing so far this year? Finally, after three, four years of those three programs losing so many guys to the draft, first round picks too, in Alabama's case, that, wow, it finally has leveled off the talent a little bit where they're still the teams we're chasing, right. but the other teams are at least in the area code. And they're, and they're vulnerable. I mean, Alabama's yes. vulnerable. Ohio, Clemson's not playing very well. They're vulnerable with their new, new Trevor Lawrence not there. Ohio State, they've gotten beat once, and they didn't play very well against a couple of lesser opponents as well this year. So you're right. The gap is definitely closing between now, the top three in six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Now, the danger, though, is, is that you know those schools have four and five stars. And those guys are just getting their feet wet. Now, right. this may right. be the most vulnerable those three, four right. teams are all year. And by November, we may go, wow, <laughs> they're back to looking like I've yeah. seen for the last five years. Right. And that's the danger. You know, was this Florida's best shot, not only at home, but in September? Right. And by the if they can get a rematch, it's the first week of December. You know, those players are going to get a lot better. Well, you're at, you're at an interesting game this week. You're going to be in Dallas for Arkansas A&M, and a lot of people think A&M could have been that team. I know Alabama goes to A&M in, what, mid-October, three or four weeks they go to A&M, that people think that Alabama could be vulnerable if they go to A&M. Obviously, A&M starting quarterback got hurt about a week ago. They're, in, they're under their second quarterback. Just your thoughts heading to Dallas this week. Arkansas on the rise a little bit, and, and, and Jimbo building that program in College Station. Well, Arkansas on the rise a lot of bit. Yeah. Sam Pittman can coach and yep. he can definitely recruit. I will say this. Sam Pittman to me is doing exactly what Brett Bielema was trying to do at Arkansas. Bielema was trying to bring Wisconsin to Arkansas. Right. Well, Pittman's an offensive line coach. Okay. And what is Arkansas doing? They are playing no nonsense power football and if anyone is going to be a fan of a program in the SEC in particular, can we finally eliminate the whole chuck and duck offenses? You can't be soft in the SEC and win games. Right. You just can't. It's not, you can't trick them for more than a week in the SEC. And Arkansas tried to chuck and duck there for two years and went five and 29 and got back now to playing, you know, X's and O's smash mouth football. And it's working now. AM offensively, can they get through this game? I mean, AM defensively is really good. This could be a 20 to 17 type game. And right. these two teams play historically very close games. I don't think people realize how big a game this is for Arkansas. Jerry Jones, their alum, the game's at his stadium, and Arkansas has lost like eight 
nine in a row in this game, and some of them have been absolutely gut-wrenching at the end. <laughs> this is a big deal. And for Arkansas, yes. they can go undefeated in Texas, which is where they want their recruiting base to be. Right, this right. is a much bigger game for Arkansas than it is for a and um, I'm not a huge gambler, but Arkansas getting six looks good to me. I agree with that. You're right. Remember, Arkansas smashed Texas a couple of weeks ago in Fayetteville. So big, big again. And, and this will legitimize Sam Pittman in the conference and around the, you know, the Southwest yes. part of the country now, recruiting wise. Now they have a ton of tough games left. I mean, even sure. if they were to beat A&M, they got to go to Georgia. They got to go to Alabama. They've got right. LSU still. I mean, you know, it's you're in the SEC West, you know, and your crossover games this year, you decided you'd play non-conference Texas. Mm-hmm. You're at Georgia. I mean, you know, it's ain't a soft schedule. So they could end up, you know, they could Seven be and really, five, eight and four and it'd be a really salty team. Yes. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, again, nobody's expecting him to win 10 games there, but if he, if he goes eight and four at Arkansas, he'll be coach of the year. No doubt about it. Especially in year two, right? When he inherited a grease fire. Right, right, right. All right. As, we, as since we're, we're talking about chain, let's just stay in the state of Florida, Florida state, Miami, really struggling. Miami very easily could be zero and three Florida state's zero and three. Your, your sense of is any, either one of those guys in trouble this year? Well, Norville's not in trouble. Uh, I mean, if the Hail Mary hadn't happened against Jacksonville State there, how would people be thinking? You know, they played Notre Dame tough. Uh, if they had gotten by Jacksonville State, you know, listen, the the program's not there. The roster's not that good. I, I think people need to embrace their reality. If I was a Miami fan, I thought we'd be playing a little better than this. I got to say, though, I would never, I don't care how much money they'd offer me. I'd never open up my season with Alabama on a neutral field. Remember what it did to Florida state Jimbo's last team. I mean, it wrecked them. It, they came in number three in the country, their quarterback got hurt and they were never the same the rest of the year. They barely bowl eligible. I would never open USC a few years ago decided we're going to open up with Alabama and Dallas and Clay Helton nearly got fired. I, I mean, I would never open with Alabama. They physically and emotionally wreck you week one. Uh, Miami was a little smoke and mirrors last year, Jason. Derek King rescued them two or three times. That was a nine, 10 win team. That was maybe a seven or eight win team. And then they lost their two best defensive linemen off that team. King is coming back from the ACL and now he's already banged up. Uh, You could kind of see Miami regressing a little this year. And I thought Florida State's schedule was way too hard for where they are as a program. I mean, it's one of the five hardest schedules in the country. I mean, think about the games. They they had five games that they were minimum underdogs at kickoff by damn near double digits before the season started. That doesn't include a Wake Forest or anyone in the ACC being a seven or eight win team. I mean, Florida State at the end of the year, Jason, could be favored in like three games this year. I mean, people need to realize where the, can we judge Mike Norvell and where the program is at the end of 2022, this needs some Jimbo ran it into the ground and Willie Taggart kept it there. Okay. (laughs) This is going to take some time. Right. No, I mean, 
I think I think the frustration with the Florida State people is probably going to be. I don't mind us losing some games, but when you lose to Wake Forest by three touchdowns, you haven't been able to recruit a quarterback yet. In year two of Norvell, who's an offensive guy, you would have thought that we we're going to have a quarterback coming. It doesn't look like Jordan Travis and Mackenzie Milton. What a story. Great story. But he's not the answer, obviously, long term. You got to get a quarterback in Tallahassee for that program to have a chance. Well, and if I'm a Knowles fan, really the end of the year, do you know what I'm watching? I'm watching to see whether or not this top 10 recruiting class can stay together. Right. You know, when they had the great performance against Notre Dame, they had three kids commit that night, even though they lost. Right. That's what you have to worry about in this day and age where everybody's commitment is about as solid, you know, as, as this piece of paper. (laughs) Exactly. So that's really the most important thing because Norvell's actually doing a really good job on the trail. And if that can continue, even if they go four and eight, that's actually the most important thing out of this season because they just need players. Right, right, right. Speaking of USC, you mentioned USC, the, the, Clay Helton era has finally ended out there. Is there, I know this is a long, any chance Urban Meyer bails in Jacksonville after one year? No. If he was going to bail on USC, he already would have had the job because it's not like, you know, back channel communications weren't happening. It's not like he couldn't have had the job. If Urban had expressed through back channels at any point in time in the last two years that he wanted the USC job, he'd be the USC head coach. Gotcha. Where do you think USC goes? I think they go big name or, or yes. solid. I think they go, coach. they go proven coach. Okay. Don't think you can give it to a first time guy. Don't yeah. think you can give it, even though this interim coach, everybody likes him, you know, and all that no chance. great recruiter. No chance. You can't go that route again. Yeah. Um, I, I think we all know the four or five names. I think the one name to watch that not many people are talking about, even he doesn't have the Los Angeles personality, Bill O'Brien. Okay. But otherwise you could see where they knock, you know, kick the tires on James Franklin. You know, you listen, Matt Campbell. Well, I would not go Matt Campbell. Okay. Matt Campbell's a Midwest guy. I wouldn't go, uh, you know, Luke fickle either. Luke really? fickle okay. spent his whole life in Ohio. Right. Cristobal, Cristobal in Oregon. If you're Cristobal, why would you leave? You've got a top five program and you've got all the money and the resources and the facilities that you need. Why? I mean, you know, you could leverage USC to get a raise, but you've built essentially USC where you are. Why would you leave? Okay. So to me, I think you're looking at James Franklin of Penn state. Um, I mentioned Bill O'Brien. Listen, I would do it. They probably won't. I would offer it to Lane Kiffin. (laughs) Wow. I would. I would say, listen, first off, I wasn't here. I didn't fire you. In fact, I don't know if there's anybody here from when we fired you. And clearly, Lane, if you look at our track record, we probably screwed up. I think that's fair to say, right? And you've matured a lot. I mean, I think that was eight years ago, by the way, on the tarmac. That's a long time. Think about what Lane's done. Helped Alabama get to two national championships. All right, three years at FAU. Now two years at Ole Miss. I mean, it's been a Lane's matured also. And he called it his dream job 12 years ago. Yep. Once a dream job, I think always a dream job. And I mean, he's got a good situation in Ole Miss. 
but it ain't USC, man. It ain't USC. You're right. No, it ain't. I mean, I, I, I would do it. I don't think they will, but I would do it. That's where I would go. I think he'd be perfect, and I think he'd stay for a long time, and that's what they need. And the one, you know, the one big name you're hearing from the NFL circles is Eric Bieniemy out of Kansas City. I think he grew up. Maybe did he go to high school in LA? He might have gone to high school in LA. I think before he went to Colorado. I can't yeah. remember. Yep. I think here's he was the thing. Here's the thing, though. I would have to be convinced that he can recruit and that he could put together a good college recruiting staff. See, when Pete and people mentioned Pete Carroll, big difference. Yeah, Pete came from the NFL to USC, but Pete had been a head coach at two places. Right. A head coach. Okay. I mean, Eric's yet to be the head coach. If you're USC and you're that AD, and this may be the only football coach you get to hire, think how convinced you need to be that you're giving it to a first-time head coach at any level. That's a big, it's a big job. Yep. Especially in LA. Yeah. Especially in LA. It's the third biggest team in Los Angeles. That's another thing that I don't think a lot of people realize the Lakers, the Dodgers and USC football, right? Ahead of the two NFL teams. All right. Ahead of the angels, UCLA, ahead of UCLA basketball, UCLA football, you name all the sports teams that are in Los Angeles far ahead of the Clippers. All right. That's how big USC football is. This is a man's job. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago to somebody. Any chance in the world Chip Kelly goes across town? No, because even though Chip's, you know, turning it around at UCLA, and by the way, classy move by Chip, that Fresno State quarterback, the Washington transfer, right. who was gutty and gritty and in the fourth quarter and beat him. Yep. The first thing Chip did when the game was over was run across and congratulate that quarterback. That's a classy move by a coach. But no, Chip's not an ace recruiter, never was. Uh, don't think it'd be a good fit. Yeah, that game ended about 2.30 in the morning Eastern time. I know. <laughs> on on uh, F- Pac-12. Pac-12. Pac-12 extra channel, whatever number that is on the TV dial <laughs> that nobody got to see. <laughs> All right, let's go to let's transition to the NFL. You were in uh, – tell us where you were at Sunday. You were in where Sunday? Actually, uh, we get on average about every other Sunday off because we do every Thursday. Right. So last Sunday we were off. Uh, Sunday before that we saw New Orleans annihilate Green Bay. Yep. And, um, yeah, we'll be in Houston for Carolina, the opportunity to start 3-0. and Yep. There's surprise teams every year. Maybe Carolina's yep, one. They are. And uh, although the schedule's pretty soft to start, much like Denver, you know, it's it's why you knew if Teddy Bridgewater stayed upright, he was going to get the job because the head coach needs to win or he's going to be fired. And they were opening with the Giants, the Jags and the Jets. Okay, well, I mean, basically three three games that if we don't screw up, we think we're going to win. So he puts in a quarterback who's known for what? Not Not screwing screwing up. up. That's right. right. So, I mean, that whole quarterback competition, yep. I don't know about you, but I had Teddy Bridgewater written all over it at the beginning. But Sunday, I mean, you know, new look Rams and Tom Showdown. Brady and the Bucks. This is pretty remarkable. Tom Brady's been in the league for you know, a little while. First ever game in Los Angeles. Really? Okay. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. Wow. 
That's interesting. Yeah, we're going to get to the Bucks Rams here in just a second. Let's talk about Justin Fields, Chicago. Andy Dalton has a little knee issue. Fields comes in the game, doesn't play great, doesn't play terrible, but it just is so-so. The Bears defense plays really well against Joe Burrow. Matt Nagy keeps coming out and saying Andy Dalton will be the starter when he's healthy. What are your thoughts? Well, I, listen, we, we all know that this is an exercise in futility, <laughs> and we have to wonder why it is Matt Nagy is doing it, except that I guess they gave their word to Andy – but, uh, I mean, if Andy physically can't play, <laughs> then we'll probably never see him again. Right. You know, it's, I mean, we all know Justin Fields is starting at one, but here's why I would be inclined if I'm going to make the move to make it very soon, beginning about week six, take a look at their little five, six game stretch. They play five of the eight best defenses in the league weeks, like six through 10. And to me, you might as well get Justin Fields' feet wet before he faces that gauntlet. Yep. I mean, give him the best chance for when he faces the best that the league has to offer. So I would think that, listen, the Bears offensively are not good. The line is one of the three worst in the league. They've got one wide receiver and three quarters of a running back. I right. mean, honestly, it's right. not good personnel. It's why I don't think Dalton can survive because he's just going to get beat up where Fields legs gives him and them a chance to survive. And he's got a good defense behind him. So he doesn't have to score 30. Yes. If yes. he can score 20, 21 to 24 every week, they're going to be in every game. Yeah. It's not the 2018 defense. It's starting it to its it spots is. get You're older. Correct. It's a good to very good defense. The 2018 defense was great. No, you're right. Absolutely, absolutely right. Absolutely right. You mentioned surprise teams, Carolina in the NFC. Matt Rule, Sam Darnold playing very well, playing very under control within the offense of Joe Brady. Just your thoughts of Carolina as that, you know, 2-0 and as they head into Thursday night. Well, you could kind of see this coming. First off, they opened with the Jets. Yep. And then they got New Orleans in a great spot. Perfect. Think about what New Orleans has Perfect. been through in the last month. And even though, yeah, they beat Green Bay, but, you know, there was extra motivation behind it and inspiration. And then after winning that game in Jacksonville, they have to go back to Dallas. Then they have to travel to Carolina. COVID you know, issues. Not, yeah. I, I mean, you kind of saw that one coming if you were paying attention. Now they get Houston yep. without Tyrod Taylor. So when Carolina starts three and Oh, we still don't really know how good they are. Right. They're just taking advantage of the schedule. If you will. Um, listen, they have spent two entire off seasons trying to put a defense together and he's got two wide receivers yes. and he's got Christian McCaffrey and he at least has an average to maybe above average at times offensive line. So, yep. and so Joe Brady and Sam Darnold, one thing to look for, Jason, remember when Joe Brady had his year with Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow looked really good in September. He looked out of this world in November. That's the thing about Carolina. Sam Darnold two months from now could look Really like a good. totally different quarterback. That's the thing that, that we need to keep in mind about Carolina. If this is all they're going to be, probably going to be an eight, nine win team. 
But if Joe Brady and Sam Darnold begin to figure it out the way Brady and Burrow did, right? I mean, a lot of people thought Sam Darnold was the most talented quarterback in that draft class three years ago. You're right. I mean, we all buried him because the Jets committed organizational malpractice around him. Wasn't Sam Darnold's fault that he struggled in New York? Right. That personnel was arguably the worst in the league that he played with for three years. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And the good thing is they don't see the you know, you got the Falcons twice, so you think they're at least going to split there, if not sweep both those games. And you don't see the Buccaneers until the twice in the last three weeks. So exactly. you avoid the Bucs till way late. So there's a chance to stockpile some wins now. So even if you do struggle a little bit in November, you can still maybe hang on for a wild card spot. And I believe they won six games last year and they lost six games by seven points or yes, less. So right. they were competitive last year. Right. And then they had a whole other off season to pile on top of it. And their division got weaker around them. Atlanta's worse. New Orleans is worse. And I, and I think Joe judge is going to be a good head coach, but you think the giants are ruining the day. They didn't go after Matt rule. Uh, well, my understanding was they kind of sort of did but they weren't willing to give Matt Cash. rule what he got. Well, it's also control. You know, Matt rule got to handpick his GM in Carolina. Matt rule is final say on personnel. The giants have never operated that right. way. They didn't right. give parcels. Right. Final say on personnel. In fact, we don't even know if parcels had say <laughs> on personnel. I mean, that's just how the giants do it. They have a GM and separate, they have a head coach separate from the coach. Right. right. So that's, that's why they weren't going to get Matt rule. If you were Matt rule also Carolina gave you seven years in full control in six and about $60 million. <laughs> and you know, Charlotte's not bad. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we could all do seven years in Charlotte. That's right. That's right. All right. Before we get to your game, we'll hit a couple AFC points, huge win for the Titans in Seattle. Everybody had them buried going out to Seattle. They played, they were one of the you know most disappointing teams in week one give full credit to Mike Vrabel and company for going out to Seattle down 14 in the third quarter and come back to win in overtime. Well, the significance also is that Indianapolis is 0-2 and let's face it, it's a two team division, right? It's Tennessee and Indy. So now you're a game up on the Colts and guess who you host this week <laughs> as Indianapolis is 0-2 and begins a three game road trip. And listen to this road trip. It's at Tennessee at Miami and at Baltimore. With Carson Wentz with two bad ankles. Right. And may or may not play. I mean, think of it. There were certain teams that we've talked about, Carolina, Denver, who had soft early season schedules. The Colts open with the Seahawks, the Rams, the Titans, the Dolphins, and the Ravens. Four playoff teams, everybody who won 10 or more games last year. That's who they open with. They could they easily be one in six. Easily. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember saying all offseason to Colts fans, you could be a pretty good team and be one in four. I mean, you need to realize that right. the schedule maker did not do you any favors here. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, give full and credit. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jason. Think about this if you're Tennessee. If you can win this week, you're two and one, the Colts are 0 and three. And I mentioned the Colts then go to Miami, to Baltimore, while you play the Jets and the Jags. Wow. I mean, could be this over. Division, could be over. by Columbus Day, this division could be over. No, you're right. <clears throat> what is the NFL doing with Deshaun Watson? Why have they not made a decision one way or the other with Deshaun Watson? That's a great question that no one has an answer for. The only thing I can think of 
is because there have not been charges filed. And I think that the NFL is waiting for charges to be filed and or the local authorities to flat out say there will not be any charges filed. This will only be a civil matter. It's the only thing I can think of. Um, the, the second thing is I'm just wondering if they have in the back of their mind how they handled the Robert Kraft situation and now here's Deshaun Watson and they don't want to look like hypocrites. Hmm. So that's the, that's the only other thing that I wonder. Okay. Um, I think the Texans are doing the right thing. I, you can't play them. No. His trade value can't go up and it, God forbid he gets hurt. So, you know, he reported so he can get paid his 10 million this year and the Texans will pay him 10 million to stay home and he'll get traded in uh, March or April. All right. They, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, it just, that, that makes sense about the Robert Kraft situation. Cause again, that kind of got washed under the, it's, it's the only, th- you know, it's the only thing I could think of in which there's somebody in the NFL office that says, Hey, um, we kind of let that situation play out. Right. Charges went away. Right. And we basically went, you know, okay, right. <laughs> we're going to just, just kind of keep on walking and not look back. And so I'm wondering if the league is like, well, can we do the same thing with Deshaun? Right. And let's just see if this thing can settle on its own. Right. But if I were Houston, I would be begging the league, please, if you're going to discipline him, please do it in 2021. Yes. Because I want to be able to trade him and have the next team know that he can play week one. Clean slate, right? Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Don't want to be acquiring him and then have hit get a six game suspension in 2022. Right. No, I agree. And that would be to me that'd be malpractice by the league for not doing that. Either do what you're going to do in this year and be and suspend him or whatever you're going to do or not. But you're right. That's that. That's not fair to the Texans to to have it roll into next year. Now it will be interesting. I don't know how much we'll talk about it on Thursday. You know, but and the Texans don't get a lot of national exposure. Right. Now, you know, if they actually start winning a little bit, right, they might get talked about more, which I don't know if they'll want, <laughs> to be honest. No, because I if you're Houston, do you really want this talked about? Right. No. Don't you after Thursday night, it's I'm pretty sure that's your last nationally televised game of the year. Right. Don't you just want to kind of slip back into the bottom of the AFC South? And you want to lose them all. You, you are vying for that number. Exactly. One. You want to lose them all, man. Right. And, you know, you're looking at the teams that you might be trading with and you're hoping <laughs> that they lose as well, like Philly and, and Miami. Miami. And you're like, yes. no, get us. Oh, I want you guys to have as worse a draft pick for you as possible and as good for us. That's right. Good, good, good that the, the Las Vegas Raiders are relevant. Really big win in, in Pittsburgh with Gruden in year four. A lot of guts. The, the defense has improved. I think that's the one part of the, the, the team that nobody thought was going to be very good, but the defense through two weeks has played pretty well. Yes, it's actually, it's played surprisingly well compared to what it's been the last two, three years. Here's the only thing I want to point out about the Raiders. Last year, they were six and three. They finished eight and eight. The year before that, they were six and four and finished seven and nine. They've gone two and five and one and five at the end of the last two seasons. So they've been 
And mm. remember, they beat the Chiefs in early October last year. They did. I mean, the Raiders getting off to good starts under Gruden has not been the issue. It's been being able to sustain it. True. So is this sustainable? You know, home for Miami, at the Chargers. You know. Winnable. Okay. Winnable. Uh, yes. Monday night football game Chargers, too. I mean, uh, and they might get Miami with Jacoby Brissett. I mean, right. who knows? I will say this. For those of you and I, a touch older, we remember the NFL with a good Miami and a good Raiders. Yes. And it's difficult to convince people 35 and under that the league is better when Miami and the Raiders are good. Because they right. looked at you like, why? And you're like, I, I, I just got to trust me on it this. It just is. That's it, right. it really is. Yep. No, Especially the Raiders. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, and you want Gruden to, I mean, every, Gruden's a great personality. I don't know how much you know know him. But, you know, it's again, we don't want to, as much as we like John, we don't want to see him up in the booth. We don't want to see him getting fired and all that stuff. He's good for the league as well as a head coach. Yes, he is. He definitely right. is. Last thing, we'll get you out of here. Let's get to your game Sunday, Los Angeles, 425. Buck Aikman, Stafford, Brady, McVay, Bruce Arians. You got a showdown game, probably the a potential preview of, of, a, of a deep playoff game at some point in, in late January. Just your thoughts of the Bucks and Rams as we head to week three. Well, Stafford and those wide receivers against the Bucks secondary, which has looked vulnerable. Yep. But then again, it's not like anybody slowed Tampa Bay down yet either. So to right. me, you know, which defense – which defense and particularly which front four yes can win up front and you know this will this will be something i you know i slight edge rams i think you know being at home and I agree. It's, it's tough to you know when you're the defending super bowl champs you do get everybody's best game and this will be a, a a bigger game for the rams uh, but I just think it comes down to simply which offensive line can handle the other defensive line better. I want to see, I want to see Matt Stafford in a big, big regular season game. He, had, he didn't have very many of those in Detroit where nope. there was expectations. There was pressure. I want to see Matt Stafford perform in a big moment like this on national, you know, where the, where the football, the center of the football world on that Sunday afternoon. I'll say this, though. You go back to, I think it's 2014. Nobody has more fourth quarter and overtime comeback wins than Matthew Stafford. Nobody thinks of that because he played on bad teams. But nobody has more fourth quarter and overtime come from behind wins over the last seven years in the league than Matthew Stafford. Great stat now, there. He's been, he's been behind a lot. <laughs> so he's had to. Right. But, you know, I think Matthew Stafford is one of those quarterbacks who – got judged by his team's one loss record. And there are some that believe like Troy Aikman believes that uh, a one loss stat is a big stat for a quarterback. And there are others like Trey Wingo who are convinced that it's absolutely meaningless. I think that Matthew Stafford, much like Derek Carr has been painted with a certain brush because his teams have not had success. And I do think it's unfair. I thought heading into the season, they were both top 10 quarterbacks and they're clearly showing that they are, if not approaching the top five in some cases. No, absolutely. And I think, and I think many can argue Matt Stafford may have as good an arm talent as any quarterback in the league. I mean, he's top five arm talent 
as far as making throws and the ability to throw from angles and all that stuff, as much as Mahomes, as much as all the guys that we think of with the arm talent. So Matthew's right there. He's in the prime of his career age wise. He's what 32, 33, something like that. And, uh, and he's in a great offensive system with McVay. So look for some fireworks. Obviously I think it'll be a high scoring affair. You've got a great week in front of you, Dave. You're going Thursday night to Houston, Saturday in Dallas, and then hopefully no weather issues, and you're going early morning Sunday to Los Angeles for Rams-Bucks. That's right, Jason. I need that 7 a.m. American flight out of <laughs> Dallas to take off on time. There's no doubt. Dave, appreciate the time, man. Awesome work. Keep it up. See you on CBS. See you on Fox. See you hopefully back on the radio here real soon to keep up the great work with NFL radio with Sirius as well, man. Great job. Jason, thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. You have a great week, and we'll be right back on the Powers on Sports podcast. Thanks for tuning into the Powers on Sports podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Before we get back to the episode, want to mention Titan Home Lending. If you have any home financing needs in the state of Florida, reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. I can help you with a home purchase, with a refinance, with a cash out refinance, with a renovation loan, a VA loan, FHA loan, conventional loan, and virtually anything in between relative to home financing. So reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. You can reach me on email at jpowers at titanhl.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. We have got a cool segment we are going to be starting here in the football season. We are going to be having a segment called The Life of the Wife. We're going to be talking to some various uh, coaches' wives around the sports world and just get their perspective on what it's, what it's like to be a wife of a coach in the sports world, a former athlete, all the different trials and tribulations that go into traveling and moving and all that kind of good stuff. And we just want to get from the, from the mom's and the wife's perspective, all the different things that go into the life of the wife. Everybody probably thinks it's so glamorous all the time, and it probably is sometimes. But there's other times when I'm sure it's not. It's just like the normal Joe down the street, your next door neighbor. So we are very pleased to welcome to the podcast, Melissa Tandy. Melissa is the uh, wife of Keith Tandy. And Keith is a uh, assistant special teams coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Keith is a former player in the NFL as well. So we are going to be, we're going to talk to Melissa and talk about her journey uh, as the wife of Keith Tandy. So Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Great, great. So, all right, first things first. How many times have you moved as a, the wife of Keith, the wife of Keith, who's a former player, now a coach? How many times have you moved? So, actually, we were really blessed. While he was playing, we stayed with Tampa for so long, um, about six years. Right. And then when he got released, we went, he got picked up by Atlanta. And because it's such a close flight, we decided that I would stay with our oldest in Tampa and just travel back and forth. But when he decided to stop playing and start coaching, that's when it started getting crazy. We actually 
he actually moved to West Virginia because before Tampa offered him a job, he got offered a, a GA position at WVU. And so he went first and I stayed back to put the house on the market, pack, um, do all that fun stuff. And when, so we moved to West Virginia, but we stayed there for about three, uh, two weeks <laughs> before Tampa said, um, offered him like, well, they called him for an interview right. and then they offered him a position. So our house already sold down here. So we had to um, move still, but purchase a different house. I gotcha. Um, just 10 minutes down the street, but we had to do this all in three weeks. And it was right before um, the lockdowns happened. So right. we got really lucky. <laughs> Yep. So, yeah, so a lot of different families go through a lot of moving and I'm pretty sure we'll deal with that, but this is the second year coaching, Yeah. but already it was just last two years ago, it was just a crazy time. So I'm ready to see how many times more we move. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give, let's give the audience a little back, background on Keith. Keith was a sixth round draft pick of the Buccaneers back in 2012. He was a defensive back. Um, very good special teams player for the Bucks. He played for the Bucks for six years. Very fortunate, like you said, that he played his virtually his entire career in the same city. So you yeah. guys actually got to create some roots here a little bit relative yeah. to a lot of other players in the league that uh, you know move around several times their career. So he Keith started coaching at Bishop McLaughlin High School, I guess here in Pat, in, which is in the Tampa area, in 2019. Yeah. Obviously, you said he had the West Virginia opportunity, and then the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers brought him back on the staff. Uh, was it set in 2020? They brought him on. Yes. They brought him March on in 2020. 2020. Yeah. Yep. So and then he's obviously been with the Buccaneers his second year with the Buccaneers as a coach. So um, again, from the moving perspective, you, you're fortunate so far. But I'm sure if his coaching career progresses, there will probably be some other moves in a good way. That means he's yeah. getting promoted and, and getting an op more opportunity. So that's that's a good thing. Yes, he's told me that too. He's like, don't think we're just going to stay in Tampa. Like he's like, just as I, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready, but I am ready. <laughs> no, yep. So, all right. So talk to me about how did you, where did you and Keith meet? We met in college. Okay. I grew up in Morgantown, okay. West Virginia. And uh, we met through a mutual friend. I, uh, I went to high school with his friend. Okay. So we met his last year, his last season there. And um, I, my family's from Columbia. So I didn't know, I don't know much of, oh, now I know a lot about football, but <laughs> back then I didn't. So he- The other kind, you were playing, you like I the, had no idea. You like the other kind of football. Exactly, I was football. like, I know soccer. <laughs> I was like, not football. Um, so we, that's when our relationship started. And then he graduated and he was like, I'm, I think I'm going to take, try to pursue the NFL. And I was like, Oh, that's good for you. I have no idea what that means. Right. Um, so he started training for it. And then, and um, a couple months went by and he got drafted and he came to Tampa, but I stayed back in Morgantown and I really, Really, I think that's when it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is a dream come true. Um, and, but I was like, 
it was hard navigating a long distance relationship. And um, we, I didn't want to move just yet because it was his rookie year. Right. And we didn't know if he was going to make the team or not. It was a lot of people think that when he, when they get drafted, it's automatic. They're on the team, but it's much more than that. Um, so we wanted to wait. So I waited a year and I moved to second year. Okay. And um, I moved here and it was a lot of him being gone. Right. <laughs> um, and I just, I started nannying. I'm a, I was a teacher, so I kept myself busy, but it was a, it's lonely because you're not around family. Right. Um, he's new city, a, new city. You don't know, really city, know anybody friends. Um, you have the people on the team, which are always welcoming, but, um, it's still different. A lot of homesickness. And, um, how did you but, handle, how did you handle the year away? This rookie year when you were up in Morgantown, I mean, obviously he made the team, you know, obviously his focus, I'm not saying his focus wasn't on you, but it was really on football. Cause he's yeah. kind of at the bottom of the, of the totem pole, as far as on the team. <laughs> yes. How, how, and, and how did that work with you guys? Serious. Yeah. Um, it was hard. I kept myself just busy working. Um, I would try to come down, but I was also taking classes. So I couldn't come down all the time. It was during when I had breaks, but then right. necessarily he didn't have a break. Right. Um, so it was, I came, I remember his rookie year, I came down for Thanksgiving thinking, oh, he has, it's Thanksgiving. The weekend off. The week off. No, he still practiced that day. And I remember I, I made Thanksgiving and I think I called my mom and I was like, I came down to spend Thanksgiving by myself pretty much because right. he gets, he, they gave him the afternoon off. Right where I could have just spend it with you guys. And, and my mom was like, it's, it's all worth it. Like you're there with him. Right. He's not by himself. And I believe I didn't come down for Christmas, but I, I came down a few days after, but they still, I remember he did have to go in for a couple hours in the morning of Christmas. So it was hard. And then during the off season, he got to come up and visit, but he was still training. So I think that's when we both realized, okay, if we want to make this work, you have to be down here right, <laughs> because right. we're not going to see each other besides that. Well, that's good. I mean, so you obviously had to make the commitment to want to do that and, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, so how challenging was that for you to kind of pick up your life from Morgantown and say, I'm going to Tampa? It was hard. Um, I think at first talking to my mom about it because I'm the oldest. So I was moving from home. Right. And um, I remember she actually called Keith and she was like, listen, I need to know this is the real deal for my daughter. Right. And he was like, no, this, this is what I want. And she's like, cause I'm not going back and forth. And she's right. like, you guys are young. You guys can decide. And he was like, no, I want her here. And, um, I remember I didn't have a car then, so I had to buy a car and pack all my stuff. My all my best friends were still up there. Right. So it it was hard, but I was excited to be with him. Yeah. Very good. Very, so when you get now, when you get here, is there any kind of camaraderie or any kind of group that kind of forms with all the players, wives or girlfriends that you kind of well, try to 
where you try to have a monthly or get together every once in a while to try to make some friends and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. So there's like a women's organization. Um, so we would all the player wives would get together. Um, we'd have girls night or watch parties and, um, one, like each girl would host if they wanted to, or we would try to get together, especially when they would be gone. Like they have trial wakings. We'd get together for a girls night. Um, the, well, I didn't have my oldest then, but once I had, um, the kids, then we do play dates and just a lot of stuff to kind of stick with the people that know what we're going through. Sure. It's hard. Sure. Sure. No, I got you. So you mentioned children. So how many children do you have? We have three. Okay. We how have old? Julian is five, Penelope okay. is two, and Gianna's 10 months. Okay. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. So Talk to me about um, just game day. When you do go to the games, do you kind of live and die every play or are you just kind of a fan? I mean, how how much of a diehard fan are you? Are you just kind of rooting for Keith? So, um, (laughs) well, when he was playing and I was still trying to figure it out, like the, all the, all the plays and stuff, I was like die hard, like on Keith and it's hard where you're sitting. And if they like say something bad about him, I was always like turning around, like, (laughs) no, like this is his family right here. Um, Which Keith was like, you have to watch your mouth. Like you have to like (laughs) calm down. So after that, I kind of started calming down and I started just, I always said, I was always a Tampa fan, but more like Keith. Sure. I think now that he's coaching, I'm more about like, okay, these are, this is a whole team. This is a family. So we cheer for them all. And it's, it's been great. Um, But game days are a lot different when he played versus now, just because everything is kind of crazy now. And um, when he started coaching, I, Last year, we couldn't go to a lot of the games. Right, right. And when we could, it was, um, it was, it was different. Like all the, the protocols, all the, all the COVID protocols and all that stuff. Yes, and it was in a full stadium, so right. you didn't get the full, like, experience. Right. And I think with Tampa, in the past, um, we always had more away fans than the home games. I remember when we played the Packers that stadium will be filled with green, green. <laughs> and it was just the, the the atmosphere and last year when we played green bay it was still like i was like oh my god there's no fans here <laughs> it was like it was empty um so, yes it's all right so talk to me about how cool because the teams that keith played with they did not do very well in the standings and all that stuff how much cooler and different is it now that the team he's, that he's coaching is doing so well and the hype and the atmosphere in the city and the stadium is so much different. Amazing. Um, it is so different. I mean, we, like you said, in the past when he was playing, it, we weren't very good. So any, t- any game we won, it was like a celebration. Like we were like, <laughs> oh, we just won a game. Thank goodness. Right. Um, and then last year, I had no idea we were going to be, I mean, I knew we got Tom Brady. I was like, okay, we were contenders, but I didn't realize it. And I remember 
the playoff games happened and um, because they were all away, we couldn't go. So I was like watching them and I'm like, okay, let's not get our hopes up. And my son, Julian is actually getting really involved in the games. Like he understands it. And he was like, mama, what happens if we win? And the first game was with the saints. So I was like, okay, this one's going to be hard, Julian, but we're going to be so excited for daddy, no matter what. And then we won. And I was like, okay, don't get my hopes up. And I think I was in shock when we were like, Green Bay, when they beat Green Bay. Bay. I had all three of the kids with me and I was like, (laughs) and the baby was just born. So it was like, I was like, oh my God. And she, and Julia, I remember goes, mom, are you okay? And I was like, oh my God, Julian, we're going to the Super Bowl. In in Tampa. In Tampa. I was like, like, we actually get to go. Yeah. And he was like, what does that mean, mom? And I was like, we're going to the championship. Like, we are one of the best teams. And of course, all the text messages started flooding. They're like, oh my God, do you get to go? Like, how is it? Do like, does he, do you get a ticket? Do the kids get a ticket? And I was like, I have no idea. We've never even made it to a playoff game. Like, this is our <laughs> first everything. Yeah. And Keith called us from the locker room. It was it was so exciting. That's it awesome. That's a fun. wonderful year. All right. So take me to Super Bowl Sunday. So now we're at Super Bowl Sunday. You know, yeah. you're probably in the stadium. You know, obviously there's the, we had a there was a crowd. It wasn't a, it wasn't full capacity, but there was a crowd. What was oh, just okay. that day like for you and that you and how nervous were you and all that stuff? Oh, I'm getting chills. Like um, just remembering it. It was um, so me and my uh, me and Julian went my oldest. Um, and my sister and my mother-in-law and my mom came to help with the, the other two and we left early. Weird. I'm always late for everything. So I was like, this game, we cannot be late. Like we have (laughs) to get there on time. And just when we parked and got out, it was just the atmosphere. I was like, Oh my God buddy like this is amazing and getting to our seats and just it almost was like a full circle moment for us just being here from when he started to being at the highest level it was super emotional super exciting and I think when Julian was it because it was later he was like I'm tired and I'm like no we have to stay we have to stay like you're doing great and he was bothered with the mat. I'm like, no, just keep it on. We we got this. And um, he was excited with the halftime show, just everything. And I think when we realized we were winning, I just just got super emotional. It was just because it's a lot yeah, of hard work for you was, having to manage all the things away from the football field that you have to handle all the family stuff and all yes. the day to day and and just not seeing Keith a whole lot during that time during that part of the, you know, during the football season, you don't get to see him nearly as much as you would like to, I'm sure. Yes, it was all worth it. It was like right at that moment, I knew this is all worth it. The moving, um, I had my, the youngest Gianna. So we had to be like, we didn't know if Keith could be in the room. It was a lot going on too. So everything was worth it. All the, the moving, the getting cuts, the, okay, transitioning from player to coach, it was all worth it for that moment. That's awesome. That's great. Talk to me about Keith's kind of, you know, state of mind. 
when he has a, you know, as a player, maybe when he had a good game versus maybe not a good game as a coach, when they won versus they lost, does he, does he do a good job of kind of keeping that stuff separate when he comes home and being a dad and being a husband, or does he kind of take some of that stuff home? Does he, where you have to calm him down if he didn't have a great game or something or, or the other way, if he had a really good game. He is good about leaving it all at the facility. So we actually live 20 minutes from the facility yep. and we do that. We live that far away so he can have the, those 20 minutes to kind of um, just relax, like get, leave it all behind. So when he played, he would actually stay longer to watch all the film and do the treatment. So when he came home, he could be dad and not football player, not football coach. And he still does that. So with coaching, his hours are a lot longer. Right. Um, so we usually see dad around bedtime. Yeah. We don't see him in the mornings, but he leaves around 4.30. Right. And then we usually see him around 8, 8.30. And then Fridays, he gets out early. And that's when he, when he comes home by three o'clock, he is full on hands-on dad. He takes them outside to play. They watch movies together. He's he's always just been hands-on and he leaves all the work stuff at home. And when they lose, he does get upset, but I'm yeah. like, okay, it's a game. We're home now, right. gotta relax. Do you, and have to do you have to tell dad to take the garbage out and put the dishes away and all that good stuff too sometimes? He's actually very good about me not having to get on him. <laughs> I, I, it's all, honestly, I'm very lucky. Keith is kind of like when he comes home, he helps with laundry. He helps with bath time. He yeah. cooks dinner. He's good. So he's, I don't have to get on him. Like I thought I was going to, and even right. in the off season, um, he still has to go in. But if I'm like, Oh, I don't feel like making dinner. He's very like, oh, I got it. Or it's, or I'm like, oh, can you go pick up the kids today? Yeah, don't worry about it. Cause he knows he misses so much during the season that right. he's like, okay, I don't have that busy schedule right now. Let me help out more, not help out, but do my part. Very cool. That's good. All right. Talk to me about kind of, um, I guess, getting to know Christine Arians and how she's kind of kind of as the head coach's wife, how has that relationship been gone with you and her and other the, the other coaches' wives on the staff now that you're a coach's wife as opposed to a player's wife or girlfriend? Talk to me about how that whole interaction has gone for you. So last year... Because um, I'll, I'll be preface this. You're probably one of the younger ones on the staff because he's not very old. So how is that dynamic for you knowing that there's some other women that are on the staff that are a little older and that have been around a lot longer. So I won't lie. In the beginning, I was super nervous about that, especially because some of the girls on the team, we Keith played with the guys. So I still have a relationship with them. Yep. But while he was playing, we always, for some reason, it was always a disconnect between players' wives and coaches' wives. Like right. we weren't mixing together. Right. So I was nervous when he became a coach. I was like, does that mean I'm not allowed to speak to my friends? Like, how does that work? Because you're now their coach. And then with last year, with being COVID, we couldn't meet with a lot of them. So I remember um, Chris actually got to host a lunch. Right. 
And I was like, okay, I think I'm going to go to to her house. She's hosting it at her house. It's only a couple of us because she only could do it in small blocks. And I was super nervous because I was like, oh my God, they're all, they're much older than me. They're probably not going to include me. I'm younger. And they have all been so welcoming. Like Chris opened that door and just gave me a huge hug. Like she's known me for years. Good. And Keith never played for um, BA. So he, they didn't know each other. Right. So I was like, oh my God, I, I don't know any. And she's like, no, no, no. And I was pregnant and just super welcoming. I kind of gave her our background. I was like, this is his first year. And she's like, anything you need, we're right here. We've been through this. This we've been coaching for so long. Right. Um, so it was it was nice to have to have them just because they moved around. They've experienced everything that I'm going to experience soon rather than somebody who's at the same level as me who I doesn't know what's going on and I like that now I can talk to the girls that are still playing and being like this is what we're going through when if your husband wants to transition to being a coach right like role models and the yeah that's neat yeah and and obviously you you've been semi-fortunate because most players don't go straight from being a player to within a year or so coaching in the NFL. Usually they have to go to a Super Bowl. That too. And usually they have to go to a college job or a high school job to start with for a period of time before they oh. get in the NFL. You're, you've kind of almost transitioned straight from player to the NFL coaching circle, which has made it probably smoother where you're more familiar with the NFL life as opposed exactly. to having to move to a small town working at a college, maybe at, you know, who knows where. Yes. And that's, we were very fortunate because even when he got the GA position and we had to move, it was very different because he told me a GA, you're there all the time, Melissa. I probably won't see you that much. Right. And with college, you don't really have an off season because you're always recruiting. recruiting. And he was always on his phone because now it's big on social media. And I'm like, this is, I'm going crazy. And he's (laughs) like, this is just how it starts at the bottom. And I'm like, oh my God. And he's like, a lot of people GA for like two, three years. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Keith, this is a lot. For like no money. For like no money. money. Yeah. Thank goodness. He, we saved a lot when he was playing, but yeah, that was another, um, thing because we had two at that point we had two kids so it's not just me and him anymore it's two kids with this like scholarship money I mean not even scholarship money and it was a lot because he was like we have to cut back on some but we were moving to Morgantown which the cost of living is right cheaper there but it was still different right um so we were very fortunate when Jason like gave him a call like let's interview nice all right let's talk about melissa and kind of what you what are some things you know in a you know are you do you have obviously you're raising your children is that kind of going to be your plan is to be a mom or do you think at some point you're gonna kind of go back into the teaching world what what do you think the future for for melissa holds um so right right now i think when we had julian and he was still we we knew when we had julian he knew he wanted a coach so I decided then that I was going to step back 
um, because it's very hard for me to even have a job right now. If the right. kids get sick, it's me. I, I put myself, I don't even put Keith on the papers because I'm like, you can't call him. Right. He can't do anything. Um, so right now it's just being full-time mom, yep. getting the house together, getting built up, Everything is on me. I do. Um, well, two years ago, I did sub at my son's preschool okay. and I hold a really good relationship with them. So I told them next year when they take the youngest, I can go back to subbing, okay. which I really like because it's not every day. It's when I can. Right. And I can still have time to get everything ready at, around the house and um, just actually have some me time too, because Absolutely. that doesn't happen a lot. Right. Um, but yeah, so once the kids are, are all in school, I would want to go back to some kind of teaching or I would love to own a school one day. Okay. And so that's, and he knows that too. So we will see what the future holds for me. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Very good. Very good. What, um, what passions or what, what passions do you have, whether it's charitable or things that are very important to you, you know, when it comes to whether it's child welfare, whether it's education, what are some couple things that are really, really important to you? Um, so definitely education and um, just children too. Keith works a lot with the Boys and Girls Club back at home uh, in his hometown. Okay. So any opportunity that we get to give back to to kids or education, I, we are always right there. Um, we would love to start a foundation, um, but we just want to wait a couple more years until he's more established in right. coaching. And then I get more free time to actually deal with that. Okay. Um, but yes, we're very involved with the Boys and Girls Club back, back in Kentucky. Um, and here, any chance that I get, I try to go and, um, there's a metropolitan ministries. ministries yeah. Yep. Yeah. So any chance I get to just drop off or donate anything I can, I try to. It's, it's just the past couple of years have been hard with. Absolutely. COVID. No, with, with all that. Yeah. And there's no doubt. Everybody's, you know, even and people don't realize the restrictions that the NFL has put on the coaches and the players to where they can't, like you talking about having your, your third child, he may not have the, the 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 stress of just him being probably in the room with you was probably an issue because of the you know the the COVID stuff and the NFL and the players. I'm sure it was so strict where you really had to go through a jump through some hoops to make sure he could even be with you to deliver your your child, right? Yes. So it's been strict for everybody, but right. for us especially, it's been stricter. Um, last year, we couldn't even have family come. We had family come right before I knew I was having the baby because I needed someone to stay with the kids. And even then, we had to make sure they quarantined, make sure they tested. So it was, and my son was in school. So anytime they were, there was an exposure, I was like, you guys have to call me immediately because it goes to, to them. Mm, right. And even leading. So we had, uh, Keith could not go to any appointments with me and our youngest, she was born with a heart defect. So we had 
all the COVID protocols and then with what's going on with her. Right. So we, I, for the birth of Gianna, I had to be like, listen, my husband gets tested every single day. He, he can for sure be in this room. Like he's been testing negative. I just need him here. Right. And I think the week before we had her was when they lifted that both parents could be in the NICU. So Keith was allowed to be in the room with me, but we couldn't go see her both, but they changed it the week that we had her. Very good. Okay, so good. It, it changed, yeah. And then leading up to the Super Bowl, uh, we had to get tested every day for 10 days right. to make sure we were all all negative. Anybody who was going to the Super Bowl, very all good. the adults. Well, Melissa, it's been a real pleasure. I'm very much pr- proud of you. Congratulations you. on your children and your family, and, and all the in all the Super Bowl. Obviously, we had a heart we had a uh, heart stomping game last night against the Cowboys yeah. that uh, turned out well in the end. So it's been a real pleasure meeting you and talking to you, and I appreciate it. And uh, maybe we'll get to talk again down the road. I, but I very much appreciate your time, Melissa. Thank you so much. I loved it. All right. I'll be in touch. Thank you so much and have a great weekend. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the powers on sports podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember to subscribe, rate and review before we get back to the episode. Want to mention Titan home lending. If you have any home financing needs in the state of Florida, reach out to me, Jason powers, Titan home lending 205-790-1404. I can help you with a home purchase, with a refinance, with a cash out refinance, with a renovation loan, a VA loan, FHA loan, conventional loan, and virtually anything in between relative to home financing. So reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. You can reach me on email at jpowers at titanhl.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.